Anybody free? Okay. All right. Okay. Good. Um, I, I don't have a, a joke this morning, but I do have something. Of, something is going to happen this week that is momentous, and it's not what you think. It's not Trump being, you know, uh, you know, uh, his uh, his defense team. Uh, that's that's going to happen too. But on Tuesday. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and Benny Gantz. Benny Gantz is the uh, Netanyahu is the head of the Likud party. Benny Gantz is the head of a, uh, the opposition party, the Blue and White Party. They're coming to the White House for a meeting with Donald Trump. Okay, you know why? Because they're going to present a peace agreement for Israel and the Palestinian people this week. They've waited until. Uh, they wanted to wait until they reconciled all the differences they had in Israel between who's going to be the president, I mean, who's going to be the prime minister. They can't seem to do that. They're not willing to wait any longer. And so they're coming. Uh, Jared Kushner, uh, Trump's son-in-law, and, and a bunch of the whole State Department team have been working on this for, uh, really, since he came into office. And um, uh, it's a very extremely controversial uh, agreement, a proposal, and uh, the IDF is uh, boosting up all their uh, military uh, in, in Israel because they have a feeling there's going to be a reaction that you won't believe. These people are going to go nuts. Now, this is a great opportunity for them, but most of them aren't going to recognize it. And, and there's four points to this agreement. So I just want you to be aware of it because, you know, you, you turn on TV and all you hear is Russia, 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 Trump, 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 Trump. I mean, nonsense, okay? But there's things going on in the world. And this is a big deal. The number one thing, there's four things that the Palestinians have to do in order to have, a, Israel will agree to have a Palestinian state in the nation of Israel, but only under four conditions. And the first condition is that they have to recognize that Israel has a right to exist. Okay. The second thing they have to do is recognize that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Hmm. Possible, maybe. The third thing that's going to happen is that they have to demilitarize all the Hamas. Hamas is a Iranian proxy in the Gaza Strip, and they're the ones shooting at all the rockets and stuff at the Israelis. So they have to demilitarize Hamas. That might be a problem. And number four is that Israel is going to annex all the settlements in the West Bank in the Jordan Valley and in uh, Samaria and Judah and make them part of the nation of Israel. So their border will extend all the way to the Jordan River now, which is what it's supposed to, okay? And I can tell you that the, is, the Palestinians are not going to agree to this. And when they uprise, there's going to be a big problem, but Israel's going to do it anyway. They're going to do these things they're going to annex all those settlements and everything else. The, the Europeans are going to go nuts. Uh, online, you're going to hear horrible stuff about Israel for the next however long. But it's an opportunity to have an Israeli state. Now, I, the ultra-Orthodox, the right wing in uh, Israel, don't want uh, to um, uh, you know, allow a Palestinian nation within the nation of Israel. So 
they're going to get it from both directions, from the ultra-Orthodox, and they're going to get it from the Palestinians. So all I know is they're going to propose this thing. That's, the, that's what I know about it, and uh, it's, uh, it's coming. So be prepared, because let me tell you something. You know why that's exciting? Because one of these days, very soon, there is going to be a peace agreement. And when it begins, that will mark the beginning of the seven years in the book of Revelation. That's the beginning. It has to have a peace treaty. No, it's not, you know, I can argue with you. You can argue with me where, when the rapture is going to take place. I don't know. But I do know that he's coming back. I do know there's going to be a peace agreement. And this may not be it, but there's one coming. So this will be the beginning of that. So just something to think about, something to pray about. So anyway, that wasn't my message, but it's interesting. Um, is there anybody here who's discouraged today? No? I hope not. Uh, Anybody in here who's, um, you know, feel like they're just overtired, they just can't get any, you know, you're not getting any rest, you're just fatigued. You're, do, you, do you know that the more tired you are, the, I mean, I read something the other day that said that uh, the Americans are now sleeping an average of five and a half hours a night. No wonder we're all tired. I was at my, uh, uh, I was out in the land of the giants in Kansas City last week, uh, Land of the Chiefs too, but uh, I have these large grandsons. You know, I feel like a midget out there. I mean, I stood next to Dave, Orion. I mean, and he's six foot six, and it's like, anyway. But um, all they do is go, 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 go. I mean, if you got, well, I know this family over here knows it. And if you got, if you got kids, I mean, between a soccer practice, a, a basketball practice, a cheerleading practice, uh, you know, you, you'd go on down the line, and all you do, go, 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 between taking them to practice, going to the game, go, go to school, gotta, you know, go to work. Uh, I mean, it's just, uh, who, who wouldn't be tired? Um, but have you ever hit the wall where it's like, you know, I'm working harder, but it seems like I'm getting less and less accomplished, right? Um, I, I wrote something down, do you feel cynical? Well, I think the whole country is cynical. And, uh, you know, with what's going on in Washington, it's hard not to be cynical. Um, are you unable to laugh or tell a joke on yourself? Um, and nobody likes to be laughed at, but, you know, once in a while, you, gotta, you, know, you can't take life so seriously, right? Uh, have you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for something and never seen it come to pass? Those are, those are hallmarks of, of how, you know, those are the things that create discouragement. When you're tired or when you're fearful or when you're just uh, uh, feel like you're in, on a treadmill, it's easy for those things to, you know, things to come your way and then you can't fight them. Um, if you can't even laugh at yourself a little bit and be a little self-deprecating, you know, th that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. I know so many people have been told over the years, you will not make it. You will not make it. If that applies to you, you are not alone. But, you know, it's, I, I want to encourage you this morning. If you'll put that slide up for me, I want to talk to you about overcoming discouragement. And there's really only one way, and I put it on there, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But, you know, when you live life, discouragements, discouragements are part of the, you know, it's part of the moments in our life. I mean, they just happen. Uh, sometimes they come in the big moments, but frankly, they'd come all along the way. They're just, you know, sometimes every day in our life, there's bumps in the road. It just comes that way. We all get to swallow some bitter pills. I, uh, 
I'm healed, but I got this little sinus thing going on, and uh, one of the pills they gave me is the nastiest thing I've ever, I, I didn't get it down quick enough. And I, oh, oh. Well, we all get to swallow bitter pills. Uh-huh. And uh, it's how we handle the discouragement. It's how we handle the bumps in the road and the little disappointments and the setbacks that life throw us um, you know, that will uh, determine where we're going to go, how we're going to go forward. Um, you know, I preached a couple of weeks ago about what we, you know, about the trying of our faith and what comes out of our mouth under pressure reveals an awful lot about who we are. And so the good news is, is we have an advantage over the rest of the world. We have an advantage over the, we're not, we're like, we have the word of God, we have the spirit of God. And we have the power that the world does not have. We just sang about it. We just, we just came to the altar and confessed it. That power enables us to overcome every adversity, every circumstance, every problem, every bump in the road that life throws at us. We don't have to uh, you know, get swollen up, uh, swollen up in the, swallowed up in the cracks of this world. They had another earthquake in Puerto Rico yesterday. Um, you know, so we're praying for protection. I want to pray for the team before they go today, uh, just that God will protect them because some of those buildings aren't real safe. But you know what? Uh, if you're not afraid to, to die, you, you're not afraid to live. And God will take care of them. We will believe, that, you know, God, uh, the blood of Jesus will watch over them and keep them from all harm. Um, but we have the power the world doesn't have. We don't have to be afraid to go into an earthquake zone because God is with us. And if God be for us, who can stand against us? We don't want to be stupid, but we don't do, you know, we don't tempt the Lord God. But we know that when life throws, you know, lemons at us, we make lemonade through the Holy Spirit. Um, I came across a quote, and it's kind of a... You have to, I'll say it slowly, you have to listen, you know, and pick it up. But as a pastor, um, one of, I always felt that my responsibility as a pastor, there's, there's a, an Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter four, verse uh, 10 and 11, it says that um, the, Jesus gave gifts to the church. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers as gifts to the church. And the responsibility that these leaders have is to build up the body of Christ, to make them um, effective in the ministry, to do the ministry in which they called. So one of the responsibilities of Ephesians 4.11 pastor is to build up the body of Christ. Build up there means to encourage. It means to strengthen. It means to uh, pull them up. And so Uh, I came across this quote, and it said, I see that part of my job as a pastor is to help make others do what they don't want to do so they can do what they've dreamed about doing all their lives but didn't do because someone told them they couldn't do it. Okay, Let me me say it again. I know there's a lot going on there. So part of my job as a pastor is to help make you do what you don't want to do so that you can do what you dreamed about doing all your life but didn't do because somebody told you you couldn't do it. Now you got it? Okay. In other words, to encourage you to go higher, to do the things that God has called you to do. You've got dreams and visions, and you know what? And somehow you say, well, I don't think I can do it. I don't know. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you today. You can do it. It doesn't matter what you're going to, you know, what you're going to come up against. The Lord is with you. So uh, back in the uh, early days of the Assemblies of God, we had uh, credential levels. And one of the first credential level was the role of, was the position of exhorter. Today it's called credentialed minister. 
and then you get to you know license and ordain. But it was called an exhorter's license. Essentially, they were people that came into I mean came into the church and just kind of pumped it up. Now we have revivalists or whatever you want to, we call them evangelists, but they're really revivalists. But an exhorter is somebody who urges you to move forward, go deeper, go go higher than what you thought you possibly could. And in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, there was a man whose name was Joseph. He was from the island of Cyprus. And in the Bible, he's called Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement, son of encouragement. And when Paul uh, came to uh, Jerusalem and everybody was afraid of him, Barnabas took him under his wing and said, no, let me, I assure you that this man's okay and I'm going to help him and I'm going to encourage him. And Barnabas was the one that eventually uh, Paul goes out and does his first missionary trips with. And, and uh, he, he's the son of, the reason he did that because he was, he was an encourager. He came alongside, he didn't pull him down, he pulled him up. He helped him, came alongside, patted him on the back, told him, no, maybe you need to think about doing it this way. And, uh, and as a result, Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. And he wrote most of the New Testament. So I want, as we go through this today, I think one of the biggest problems that I come in contact with is, how many people, well, you don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, I know more negative people than I know positive. Anybody with me? It's so much easier to say the negative, to always tear down, to cut down, to be so cynical and and everything else. But you know what? The world needs... And your family's need and your office needs and your school needs people that will come alongside and say, hey, you know what? We can do this. Let's let's encourage them. Let's move forward. Somebody with a little more positive outlook on life, you know, to be the encourage of others. So as we go through this today, what I want to ultimately get to is the point where you not only are encourage yourself, but you take that and you give it to somebody else. And as you give that away, you will grow in that yourself. So I want to begin with a story from the Old Testament, and it's a, um, it's a book uh, uh, that was written. The, um, the Babylonians came to Israel and eventually conquered the first 10 tribes and then took them away, and then they came down to Jerusalem and took the second, uh, the, you know, the Benjaminites and the, uh, uh, the tribe of Judah, and they took them away captive for 70 years. That's what the book of Jeremiah is about, uh, all of that, but... After 70 years, a king of, of now uh, was called Cyrus allowed them to go back and rebuild the temple. Um, a lot of people in Israel, actually, they, they minted a coin uh, in Israel, and it's got Trump's face on one side and Cyrus on the other. And as they, see, they see Trump as a Cyrus, as somebody, I mean, he's the first president. Every other president said that we're going to call Jerusalem the capital of Israel. We're going to recognize that. He's the only one that's done it. And so they look at, he has done more for them than any president heretofore. And so it's, it's a very positive thing. Oh, thank you. I do have one, but I'll take another one. <clears throat> Stay lubricated. Anyway, so I want to talk to you. In the book of Ezra, it's about the story of the Israelites coming back to rebuild the temple. And I want to begin, if we will, in, in Ezra chapter 1. And I just want to give you a little foundation. So the the King Cyrus, who's now, you know, the Babylonians were overtaken by the Persians, uh, now Iran. And um, Cyrus says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, isn't it interesting that a, that a Persian king acknowledges that Jehovah is the one that has given him all this territory? And he's now told me to build him a house at Jerusalem and Judah. And... Uh, 
Whoever is among his people, may his God be with him. May he go to Jerusalem and Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Let every survivor, wherever he lives, be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods, livestock, a freewill offering for the house of God in Jerusalem. So Cyrus says, God has told me to let you go back and rebuild the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians 70 years ago. Now it's time. Okay. Now, so he said, I want you to take, I want everybody who's left from Israel, I want you to go back. I want you, I'm going to give you money. I'm going to help you take care of it. I'm going to give you builders. Whatever you need, everyone will help you along the way. Okay. Now, verse 7 says, go to the next one there, okay? Because I didn't. 1, chapter 7. I mean, verse 7, chapter 1. Next verse down. Huh? I got it right here if we have to. So. I love it when it all works out. Okay. There we go. Okay. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the Lord's house. They had taken everything from uh, the Babylonians had taken all the articles of worship from the, uh, from the temple in Jerusalem because it was all silver and gold and all that stuff. And now the Persians have it. So he gave them and gave them back uh, to, um, he'd taken it from Nebuchadnezzar and he gave it back to the people. Verse 8 should be the next one. So King Cyrus of Persia had them bring out under the supervision of Midrath, uh, the treasurer who counted them out to Shezbazar. Shezbazar is the Iranian or the Persian name for Zerubbabel, who is the prince of Judah at the time. Okay, And um, so anyway, they're going to go back. Uh, it, it, Zerubbabel literally means out of Babylon. All right. So they're going to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Now, in chapter 2, go to verse 68. should have that one down there next. Okay. So they, 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 after many days and travel and months getting ready, they come back to Jerusalem. They arrived at, at the Lord's house in Jerusalem. And uh, some of the family members from Israel gave some of their free will offerings in order to help it be rebuilt. So they're going to rebuild the temple on the site. Chapter 3, real quick. I'm just giving you... By the seventh month, they'd settled in their towns. The people gathered together in Jerusalem, and Yeshua, uh, the son of Jehaz, uh, Now, Yeshua is Joshua. This is the high priest, okay? And his brothers, the priest along with Rubble, the son of Shealtiel, and his brothers, they began to build the altar. So the first thing you're going to do when you rebuild the temple is you're just going to start the altar so you can have the sacrifice, and you'll build a building around it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they, so they set up the altar on the foundation. They offered burnt offerings for the morning and evening on it to the Lord. And even though they feared the people that were around there, they were not believers, obviously, and they were afraid of them, they did it anyway. They, you know, God is with us. The Cyrus has told us to come do this. We're going to do that. We feel it's right. And uh, then they celebrated a festival of booze, a feast of tabernacles, because it was late in the year, and they offered burnt offerings every day according to what they do. And verse 5 says they, uh, uh, they offered irregular offerings the morning and noon. And so they're setting up the whole temple worship all over again. And go to uh, the next verse, verse 6. And so they, uh, they began to offer burnt offerings even though the foundation to the temple hadn't been laid. So they begin to offer the sacrifices, begin to do the worship. And in verse 7, uh, they gave money to the stonecutters and everything to, to prepare all the things that were necessary to rebuild the temple. They brought the wood from Joppa by the sea, from, and they got it from uh, up in uh, Lebanon. They bring it all down. And it says, in the second month of the second year, after they had arrived at God's house, 
Yeshua and, the, and uh, Zerubbabel and the rest of the Levites and the priests who had returned to Jerusalem from captivity began to build. And they appointed Levites who were 20 years old or more to supervise the work uh, on, the, on the house of God. And then it says, finally, verse 9, Yeshua and his brothers, and they all joined together, and they began to uh, build Keep going, verse 10. The builders laid the foundation of the Lord's temple and, the, and they had a big ceremony and they're shouting and they're, they're dancing and they're singing and, and they're blowing their shofars as the, and they're you know, doing cymbals. And they sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. He is good and his mercy endures forever. And, and all the people gave a great shout because now they started building the temple and they're so excited. And the older priests and Levites who had seen the first temple wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this they, they had seen the glory of Solomon's temple, but now it's been destroyed, and now we're rebuilding it, and we're going, uh, and they're so, they, they're just overcome with emotion. And the people couldn't distinguish the sound of the joyful shouting from the weeping because everybody was so excited. In chapter four, however, something happens. The people who were already in the land, who were not Israelites, were not happy that they had come back to rebuild the temple. And so they bribed <coughs> officials. They sent letters to frustrate. They did everything in their power, <coughs> excuse me, to stop the work of the building of the temple. And they did it, um, and, and Cyrus died. He was the one that told them to go. And now they have a new king, Azahurus. The people were already in the land. They wrote letters. They accused him. They accused these people, uh, these Israelites, of, of just terrible things, everything you can imagine, fake news all over the place, Okay. And uh, we know about that, right? And uh, they, they just railing accusations against all the people, anything they could do to thwart what the people were trying to do for God. And verse 21 says, and there, so the king issued an order so that this city will not re be rebuilt by me. This is a new king. He didn't understand what Cyrus is doing. And see that you don't neglect this matter in the next verse. Otherwise, the damage will increase. The royal interest will suffer. They, they said, if you don't stop these people, you're gonna they're going to rebel against you. Every time Israel has ever been a lie around, they've always rebelled against the authority. They were just terrible people. You don't want to have anything to do with them. And so when the king read it, he, he immediately sent a letter to tell them to stop building. And verse 24 says, now the construction... God's house in Jerusalem had stopped and remained at a standstill till the second year of the reign of King Darius in Persia. So, so you get the story. After 70 years of being in captivity and bondage in, in uh, slavery in Babylon and, and, and in Persia, now the people have come back. They're so excited. They have the opportunity now to rebuild it, have temple worship, worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And now they're doing it and they're laying the foundation. And the people in the community get so upset that they're there that they try to destroy them and do everything they can to stop it and thwart it. And they succeed. And so now it's been 14 years. The work started 14 years ago and it's come to a stop. Now you talk about discouragement. They were so excited. They were, they were weeping. They were crying. They were shouting. They were singing. They were dancing. And now all of a sudden, stop. And for 14 years, they gave into it. You know what happens when you get discouraged the first time? You might persevere a little bit. But then they get stopped again. And after a little while, you stop trying. And that's where they were. They had gotten so discouraged they no longer thought anything was possible. The king said, we can't do it. They just gave in to it, and, and, and there's no way to stop it. So what, what does God do in the midst of that? Was it God's will for them to build the temple? Absolutely. 
So in chapter 5, God sends a prophet. Okay, Chapter 5, verse 1. Actually, three prophets God sent. He sent Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. The prophets Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of, Israel, name of the God of Israel who was over them. And they prophesied Zerubbabel and Yeshua to begin to rebuild. You don't stop. God is with you. Do you not understand? We're going to look at what they said. The prophets were with them, and they helped them, and they encouraged them. And so they needed a fresh vision. They had become discouraged. They had lost sight of what God had told them to do. They had, they had given in to fear. They would given in to fatigue. They would given in to everything that was going on. Well, we'll never do it. We can't do it. It's not going to happen. They just quit. But that wasn't what God wanted. God said, no, no, I'm with you. Hey, you, you guys need to start rebuilding. But, but, but don't you understand? These guys are going to kill us. They're going to come after us. They'll stop us. God said, I'm going to tell you, I told you to build. You're going to do what man says or you're going to do what God says? And there's a challenge. And see, that happens in every one of our lives. Maybe you didn't rebuild the temple, but, you know, there, things come at you. But you felt like God told me to do this, but now I'm being stopped. I'm being thwarted. And the enemy's coming at me here or I've lost this. And, and we give up. God says, no, I called you to do it in the first place. Are you going to listen to men or are you going to listen to me and my word? And so God sends a fresh vision to them. And Haggai and Zechariah prophesy. And in chapter 6, it goes a little bit farther, verse 14. So the Jewish elders continued successfully building under the prophesying. And you know what the prophesying was of Haggai and Zechariah? Encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. Exhort, exhort, exhort. Push, push, push. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Okay. And they finished the building after two years to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus and Artaxerxes of Persia. This house was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Actually, it took four years. From the time that they restarted it, it took, it took four years. Okay, So they finished the work, and we know it was 515 B.C. As I read that story, I was looking over my, my notes. I mean, it, it occurs to me that a lot of people in the body of Christ start out this way with our relationship with God. We start out with a word from God. We start out with a, with a, with a vision that God has, you know, has saved me and he's called me and he's got something for me. We're saved. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're excited. We start to build that this is the temple. Okay, God dwells here. Okay, And, and we, we, you know... I knew people, you know, before computers, everybody would go out and get a book. They'd get a strong concordance. They'd get Bibles. They'd get parallel Bibles. They'd get everything. And, and, they're, and they're prayer journals. And they get CDs and DVDs and, and all that stuff. And, and we start, and a few years come along, and life comes at you. And we have some victories along the way. God has spoken to us. We've obeyed. Things are moving pretty good. And suddenly, and we've laid a good foundation, but something happens. You lose your job. A disease comes, a, a big problem, the economy goes down, your retirement money goes with it, whatever. You know, you, you break up with your boyfriend or your marriage is on the rocks or, you know, there's no spark there. The kids are on your last nerve if you had one to begin with. And, and, and you know, am I talking to anybody today? In the process of going through that stuff, the enemy comes in and sows seeds of discouragement. Discouragement is a seed that if you let it grow, it will destroy the building that God has called you to build. We feel lost, we feel depressed, we pray, we don't feel like anything's happening, I'm not sure my prayers are getting off the floor. 
And then some preacher stands in the pulpit on some Sunday morning and says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he goes, you know, you have no idea what you're talking about. I bet, you know, I bet that guy's never had trouble like I got. Let me tell you, there isn't anything that you're going through today that somebody in this room has not already experienced, including the one standing right here in front of you. I've been laid off. I've had diseases. I've had, you know, you, you name it, the enemy has come at me every which way over the years. I've had, you know, <laughs> lost money in business deals. You know, you name it, I've been there. But you know what? I've always found out that God is still with me. You can get discouraged. It's easy. But you have a choice. You can say, but you know what? God called me to that. Or, you know, maybe even I made a mistake. And sometimes, have you ever gotten ahead of God? I know we're not supposed to kick in doors or, you know, God says, I open the doors for you and, and no man can close. But I've kicked open a few over the years and I've lived to regret it. But you know what? God is gracious. Thank God, even when I make mistakes, he says, I work everything together good that them that love God are called according to his purpose. And maybe it wasn't his will in the first place, but, you know, thank God he's merciful. Thank God for his grace, okay? So the question is, when discouragements come, what do you do? Do you quit, sit on the ground, get a pity party? And, you know, the Jews, they used to do that. They used to put on burlap. They would put on, you know, the sackcloth. They'd get ashes. they sprinkle it on their heads. they throw sand in the air, and they'd sit there, you know, like the end of the world. Well, you can do that if you want to, but you're, not, you're never going to get up from that dirt. God called you for something better. Do you remember, do you remember when you're first saved? You know, I love being around new converts. You know why? Because every time they pray, something good happens. Have you ever noticed that? I like to bottle that up so I can have some when I really need it. Because the prayer of faith from a new convert is just so overwhelmingly full, you know? And what happens is, is that sometimes we pray now and it feels like there's brass heavens. I mean, people have talked about that over the years. There aren't, but it feels like it. And we pray and nothing much happens. And, you know, we meet other people. The problem of being around people who are discouragers is that they drag you down. I've often, in years of counseling with the young people, it's... Um, um, one of the phrases that we used to hear, I don't know if we say it much anymore, but it still happens, is evangelistic dating. You know, this young lady or this young man finds a, 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 somebody they really like. They're not saved. They bring him to church. They say, well, they'll, they'll get saved. Can I tell you that in 35 years, I think I've seen two get saved. Or I've seen some get saved, okay, come into the church, and as soon as the marriage happened, it's the last time we saw them in the church. Why is it that, and, and then you know what happens is the person who was saved, one, is miserable, or two, in order to keep peace in the home, goes the other way. It's so much easier to go with the negative than to go with the other way. You know, and, and we go down to the least common denominator in order to keep peace. I don't want to argue with my spouse anymore about going to church, so we stop going. And it's very seldom have I ever seen anybody bring them up. And I don't know why that is. But the negative seems to have much more power than the positive, except that that's not true. But we give in to it because we get tired. We get fearful. We get whatever. And, uh, you know, you get Job's friends who come around to you sometimes. You're going, you know, why do I need you? You know, with friends like you, who needs enemies, right? So um, 
we got excited. We built the foundation, and now all of a sudden things just aren't happening, and, and, and we get discouraged. Get discouraged. I, I can't tell you. I've, I've mentioned this before. I know years ago, but in 1978, I got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, uh, I was around a bunch of crazy, zealous charismatics, and um, uh, we just couldn't get enough of God. I mean, we were in, we were in, we were had, had home meetings. We we're going to churches. We we're going to meetings. You know, we had our tape recorders. We had our tapes. We had our books. We we're, we're just we're just excited about Jesus. We even started our own church. Didn't know what we were doing. Still don't. But we started our own church. And um, uh, we were just excited. And those people, I look back at them today, some 30, you know, however many years ago, 40 years ago, and I would say probably only 10% of them are still serving the Lord. Now, what happened? Life happened. Sickness came, death came, job loss. They just got tired. They weren't that excitement, that zeal they had at the beginning just kind of diminished. And as we let it diminish, and as our relationship with the Lord begins to wane, then the discouragement becomes even greater. And even if it's not discouragement, it's just like a, a watered-down version of Christianity. They go to church occasionally, but they're not really, there's no, that same passion just isn't there anymore. I don't understand that. I mean, I understand it, but I don't understand it. I'm not content with where I am in my relationship to the Lord. I want more. I want more. You can be content. It's okay. But, but, but there's, if there was more, why wouldn't you want it? When I heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I said, I want that. I wasn't sure why, but I want it. Because I'll tell you what it does. It helps you have a deeper relationship with Jesus. That when I'm in trouble, when I'm tired, when I don't know what to do, I, I can call on the Lord. They pointed out to me in the class the other night to some students that they're now making WWJD bracelets again. What would Jesus do? Okay. Well, that's always been the case. I mean, but if, you're, if you get so tired, you're not even willing to ask, what would Jesus do? I guess, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem. So here's the, here's the answer. So what was, what was Ezra and the people of God in Israel, what was their problem? They were tired. They'd been beaten down. They were afraid. They'd been told they couldn't do it. They will never happen. And somebody had to come alongside them and say, hey, you know what? God says, start building because he's with you. No. <laughs> it's time for a fresh revelation of God's word to you. No matter what you're going through, I, I can guarantee you, maybe you're not going through anything right now, but you will. That's not a curse. That just, that's just life. Things happen. And so what am I going to do? Lord, I, I need a fresh revelation of you every day at just the right time. I, actually, I need it today. But God will speak a word to you, and I, I hope that what you're hearing today is that word. Because God had to come alongside, here's the prince of Israel, and here's the high priest, and both of them have quit. And God says, get up off your butts and get to work. He didn't say that, but, you know, I said it. But he didn't say it. So he has, to, he has to call upon a man like Haggai and Zechariah to tell him what to do. And so they were sent as Barnabases to the nation of Israel. The Israel had hit the wall. They were afraid. Fear had gripped them. And he had to come alongside. You know what the first thing he told them to do, though, was before he told them to start rebuilding? He said, repent. He rebuked them. If you read the first chapter of, of Haggai and the first chapter or two of Zechariah, 
he, they, they told him, he said, you know what? God told you to do something and you quit. What's wrong with you? Turn around and start doing what God told you to do. They rebuked them. Sometimes we need, you know, it isn't always just a pat on the back. That's why I was standing here this morning and I said, let's just receive it. But you know what the Lord said to me? He says, you know, sometimes you need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I need a change. And so Haggai rebuked him and said, do you know what Jesus said in Matthew 6, chapter 30, verse 33? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. Now think about that for a minute. He, he talks there about the birds of the air and, and the flowers of the field and they're thrown into the grass. He said, doesn't God, and God knows the very hairs on your head. And he says, he takes, he, he has no, what you need before you ask him. But he says, but if you'll just seek me, I know you need clothes. I know you need a job. I know you need a car. I know you need this. I know you need that. But you know what? If you'll just seek me, I'll take care of it. Why are you discouraged? Why are you downcast? And so you're worried about stuff. And God says, worry about me and your relationship with me, and I'll take care of the rest of it. And so in Haggai chapter 2, I want you to turn there if you would. Haggai says to the people, this is the word of the Lord. Who among you saw who was alive to see what this house looked like before? What did Solomon's temple look like? It was the most beautiful building they said that had ever been created. You know why it was beautiful? Because the presence of the Lord was there. And then he says, how does it look to you now? Not very much. And then he says to Zerubbabel and to Joshua, be strong. Be strong, all you people of the land. The Lord's declaration to you is work. Get to work because I'm with you. And this is the promise that I made to you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit is with you. Don't be afraid. Look, if God is with us, who can stand against us? He says, I made you this promise when you came up out of Egypt. Do you think I've not been with you? Because you, they, were in, they were in bondage in, in, in Babylon for those 70 years because they had sinned. There was a consequence to their actions. But God says, I never left you. I chastise you, but I never left you. And then he says the next verse, for once more. The Lord of hosts says, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and dry land. And in fact, if you look in Hebrews chapter 12, you'll find the very same verse. He said, then he says, the silver and gold belong to me, says the Lord. You said, well, Lord, how can we build a house? How can I, how can I get a job? How can I pay for this car? How can I pay for the school? And, and, and the Lord says, I own all the money. It's mine to begin with. Pastor Dave, we just took the offering. We have an opportunity to give. If you give, it'll be given back to you. He says, look, I own everything. Do you think I don't know that you need money? Do you think I don't think you, you, you need a job? Or I know that it costs money to buy a car. Or I know it costs money to pay for this or that. He says, I own it all. I own it all. And I'll give you exactly what you need. I'll supply what you're lacking. Will you trust me? Will you not be discouraged? And then he says... And this is the verse that got me here in this church in the first place. The glory of the latter house be greater than the first. Now think of that. Solomon's temple was said to be the most beautiful building that was ever created. 
And as I said, the presence of the Lord. And God says, what's, what's going to happen at the end? It's going to be far greater than anything you've ever seen. Don't quit. Don't be discouraged. I'm with you. I'm building something. And now, we, of course, we understand he's talking about not necessarily the second building, but what's going to happen at the end. He's talking about because he prophesies about Messiah coming. But he said, the glory that you've seen in the past is nothing to what you're going to see as you go forward. It doesn't seem like you've got much, but God says you've got all you need. In fact, I'm going to give you everything else that you don't have. I'll supply whatever's lacking to you because I'm the Lord and I care for you and you're mine and I've never left you and I've never forsaken you and I will be with you. Don't be discouraged. You know, when you're facing discouragement, what do you do? You look up, not down. God says, I'm with you. And then in Zechariah, the other prophet preaches, speaks to them the same way. And he says, he, says, uh, he begins to talk to them about, about, the, uh, about the city of Jerusalem. He says, I looked up and I saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I asked, where are you going? And he answered me, to measure Jerusalem to determine its width and its length. And the angel who was speaking with me went out and another angel went out to meet him. He said, run and tell this young man, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because the number and the people of the livestock will be so great in it that there won't be enough room to contain it inside a wall. This is the declaration of the Lord. I will be a wall of fire around it, and I will be the glory in it. I'm coming back here, says the Lord. And you have not even begun to imagine what I'm about to do. Don't be discouraged. Don't quit building. Don't, don't settle into the fears and, and, and the and the fatigue that so many other people. Don't get cynical. Don't stop. He says, I, if I told you to do something, I will provide for it. I will make it so much. You can't even, your idea is, what's it say? He says he will, he will give us more than we can possibly dream or imagine. He says, I'm measuring Jerusalem's going to be so big, they won't have, walls can't contain how big Jerusalem's going to be. And of course, that's what we have even now. And it's going to get more than that because in the, in the millennial reign, Every one of us is going up to Jerusalem once a year. And there'll be so many people there you can't even imagine. So, and I'm going to be the glory in it. I called you to do this. You say the old temple was glorious, and you say this isn't very much. You say, Lord, I used to have so much, and I've lost it all. And then God says, if I'm with you, you haven't lost anything. And if I'm with you, I'll certainly supply for you. And if I'm with you, I will certainly help you build. Don't quit. Quit looking backwards. Start looking forwards. The Spirit of the Lord is with you. Okay? And then two months later, Zechariah shows up, and he still has to give the, the leadership a little one more push. And he begins to prophesy, and the whole, whole rest of, of uh, Zechariah is a prophetic word about the Messiah. But he begins in Zechariah chapter 2, verse, uh, verse uh, 1. Okay? Go backwards. I think you missed something. Zechariah 2, 1. No, I'm sorry. Verse 10, you were right. Go back. Okay. Daughter of Zion, shout for joy and be glad, for I'm coming to dwell among you, says the Lord. Now, and then in chapter 4, he begins this whole great big thing you've heard so many times. But he says, uh, uh, the angel who was speaking to me then returned and roused me as one wakened from sleep. And he says, what do you see? I see, well, I see a solid gold lampstand, a menorah that has seven lights. It has seven lamps. And seven channels that the lamps, you know, provide, get the oil from, okay? And then there's two olive trees on either side of it, and one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left, okay? 
And, uh, and he said, what are these, my Lord? And he says, uh, don't you know who they are? No. He said, well, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The one on the right was Zerubbabel, the one on the left was Joshua, is the priest and king, are going to be melded together into one. The oil is going to flow. And he says, none of this is going to happen by your own strength. But by my spirit, I will perform every word I've told you. Do you understand who you, do you understand who we serve? The God of all creation. By his spirit, everything is possible. Nothing is impossible to them to believe. Why? Because the spirit of God is with you. The spirit of God creates the universe. The spirit of God will take all the money and all the silver, whatever you need to provide for you to get you there. You can't do it in your own strength. You never could do it in your own strength. Quit trying to do it in your own strength and start relying on the spirit of the Lord. That's what God says. See, we, we try to build, we try to do, we try to do all this stuff. Well, I've got a, I've got a company, I've got a job, I've got a business, I've got this, I've got that, I've got a family, I've got a relationship, I've got a marriage. You think you can build that? You can't. But on the word of the Lord, you can build it. I can find out how to be the husband I'm supposed to be, how to be the wife I'm supposed to be. What kind of employee should I be? What kind of employer should I be? Lord, what do you want from my business? What do you want from my... Have you even sought the Lord on those things? You're discouraged because you see all this stuff happening, and, and maybe it's because you haven't sought the Lord. Maybe because you've been trying to do it in your own strength, and you're tired. You're weak. You can't do it. You're fatigued. You're fearful. What if I, don't, what if I do the, make the wrong decision? God says, you know what? You can't do it. But by my spirit, you can do all things. There's nothing that you can't do. Not by mind. I will finish the work. But why? I'm Emmanuel. I'm God with you. I've never left you. I've never. How can you possibly be discouraged when you have the spirit of God inside of you? He's the God of all encouragement. He says, I will make them. We talk about the, the mountains moving. I will make the mountain move. If you need to have a mountain moved, I'll move it. Do you understand who you're serving? The presence of God will be there. I'm going to take away the discouragements. I'm going to, you know what? Your fast failures are nothing. You can learn from them, and your victories are nothing. I'm the one that's done it all, and I will help you succeed in the next one. In the latter days will be greater than your former days, says the Lord. You have seen nothing yet, says God. And I think that's for everyone in this room. I think that's for this church. I think it's for where we're going forward. That God, We haven't even begun to see what God is about to do in our lives. Our best days are still ahead. It's not a platitude. It's not a, it's not a cliche. It's the truth. It's easy to get afraid of the word of doctors, to get afraid of the word of uh, the reports of men. People hate us. But you know what? You can't be fearful of them. God is with you. He loves you. He's given you a job to do. He wants you to go forward. And as you do that, as you partner with the supernatural power of God, and you realize nothing's impossible, you can take that encouragement and give it away. And as you give it away, it'll come back to you, press down. You'll be even more encouraged. God wants us to understand who we are in Christ, who he is with us, what he's got for us, his spirit that's with us. And as we walk in that ourselves, we will learn from it and we'll be able to pass it on to somebody else. We can be the sons of encouragement that God wants us to be. That's what Zechariah and, and Haggai were. They were sons of encouragement. They came alongside and, you know, they gave a little, you know what, you're going the wrong way, now change, and now let's move forward. They gave them a little poke. 
Sometimes you have to have somebody come along to you. You know, they like to use the terminology speaking truth to power. Well, it's not that. Sometimes you have to get the, sometimes you have to change. Sometimes you have somebody tell you the truth. You know what? You're going the wrong way here. But you know what? I believe with God, we can do all this stuff. Zerubbabel got in trouble because they were trying to build the temple in their own strength. Well, we're building for God. We're doing God's work. And they took their eyes off the fact that it was God who was really building the temple through them. They thought they were doing it. And then when the enemy comes, they believe the report of the enemy rather than believing what God had told them. If God told me to rebuild the temple, do you think he didn't know those days were coming, that these men were going to try to inhibit us and stop us from the work? Of course he did. But he already had made provision for it. Because God was in charge. They sat there, think about it. They sat there for 14 years, built their own houses, did everything else, and wouldn't do the house of God because they were afraid. 14 years they sat there. And it takes a word from the Lord to say, get up and go to work. And they finally do it and they finish it in two years. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said that when he became weak, he said, he asked God, you know, Lord, there's been this... uh, demon, this messenger from Satan, has been pushing at me and pushing at me and pushing at me and pushing at me. And I asked the Lord three times for him to remove it. Now, a lot of us could get discouraged after the first or second time, or even the third time. Lord, I ask you three times, why won't you remove this thing? And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you know what grace is? It's the favor of God. When you're weak, when you stop saying and thinking that you can do anything, then finally I can work through you. And my favor will be more than sufficient to finish the task to what you've got. And you know what? Yeah, that enemy's been coming at you, but you know what? You've got the favor of God. Don't worry about that. Don't think. Think on things lovely and pure. Don't worry about what he's doing. I'll take care of him. You take care of your relationship with me. And so Paul says, you know what? I would, I would rather be weak so that the glory of God can work through me than to be strong in my own strength and fail every time I turn around. So he says, verse 10 says, I, therefore I take pleasure in, in weaknesses, not sicknesses, but in my weaknesses, in reproach and necessities and persecutions. I take, I take pleasure in those things because then I know that I can't overcome them. I can't overcome discouragement on my own, but what, you know what? God's with me. He takes care of it. Because when I'm weak, then he's strong. His favor is is more than sufficient. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We still have to work. We still have to do the stuff. But you you know what? God has you a divine destiny. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He's got it laid out. And let me tell you, being filled with the Holy Spirit is one of the plans that he had for you. You have to rely upon the Spirit of God to get through this stuff every day, every day. You're going to, you know, when they finish building the temple, there's a one final stone they put on. They put a foundation stone to start, and they put one at the top called a capstone. Well, when the task is done, you can lay a capstone on it. God is going to give you the strength to be able and the funds and everything else that you need to put the capstone on your life at the last day if you don't quit. If you don't quit. The great English preacher Spurgeon said he always knew that when he was being prepared by the Lord for a larger blessing in his life and in his ministry because huge depression would sweep over him. 
And he says, as soon as I recognized that I was down in the dumps and, man, I've tried this and I've done this and nobody's getting saved, nothing's happening. And I would, as soon as I recognized that I was in the midst of depression, I knew God had a big blessing coming my way. And then I came up out of that and I recognized, God, what, what do you have? See, some of you are right there at that door. What has God promised you? He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. If you come, I don't think we went quite far enough. Let me turn to it. In the, um, in the book of Zechariah, one more verse I want you to see. In chapter 4, give me verse 7, would you? After he says, not by might nor by power, then he says to them, what mountain have you got in your life? Zerubbabel had the fear of Tobiah and Sambalat and all these people who were coming against him. Before Zerubbabel, it's going to become level ground. And I like the King James better. It says, all you have to do to the mountain that you're facing, the, the obstacle that's standing in your way is shout grace. The favor of the Lord to it. God's favor is with you. When you come up against the mountain, you shout grace. You shout grace. The grace of God is with me. The grace of God is greater than my mountain. And as you do that, he says, it'll be made level ground. It will move out of your way. All you've got to do is stand upon the truth of God's word that, he's, that he is with you, that his grace, his spirit is in you. I don't know that you remember this, <clears throat> but how many remember when Jonathan Edwards was here back in September? Okay, you were all here. Do you know the verse that he left us with? Put that up. It's, it's Psalm 90, verse 17. Do you know what he talked about the whole time he was here? He said, the favor of the Lord is on this church. The favor of the Lord's on you. In the NIV, this verse says, says in the King James, says, may the beauty. But here, may the favor of the Lord, God, Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. He said, if you will confess this, you will see the glory of God. You will see the favor of the Lord. He says, the favor of the Lord is with each of you in this body and in this church as a, general, as a whole, that the favor of the Lord will establish the work of your hand. In other words, whatever you put your hand to do, God's favor will help you fulfill it. Be encouraged this morning. God is with you. He loves you. He's got a plan for you and his desires to see you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. You don't have to give in to the mountain. Boy, you know, there's no way over this mountain. You're right. All you got to do is shout grace to it, and you can walk across it. Establish the work of our hands. I want to close with a quick story. A group of frogs were hopping contentedly through the woods, going about their froggy business. When two of them fell into a deep pit, all the other frogs gathered around the pit to see what they could be done to help their companions. When they saw how deep the pit was, all the rest of the frogs at the top of the pit were discouraged and dismayed. And they agreed that it was hopeless and those two frogs in the pit should prepare to meet their fate because they were going to die because there's no way they could get out of the pit. Unwilling 
to accept this terrible fate, the two frogs in the pit began to jump with all their might. Some of the frogs shouted down into the pit, it's hopeless, quit jumping. And you wouldn't have been in this mess if you kept your eyes open and seen that pit in the first place. Other frogs, as they gathered around the pit, sorrowfully were grieving over the two frogs that were in the pit. Oh, they're going to die. Oh, it's a terrible thing. Oh, it's awful. They'll never make it. But the two frogs in the pit continued to jump as hard as they could. After several hours, however, of jumping, they got very tired. Finally, one of the frogs decided to listen to the other frogs that were at the top of the pit, telling them he couldn't make it. He was as good as dead. He might as well just die. Totally out of energy, fearful, discouraged, and disheartened, he resolved himself to his fate, and he lay down at the bottom of the pit, and he died as the others up above looked on in helpless grief. But the other frog continued to jump with every ounce of energy that he had. Although his body was racked in pain, he was completely exhausted. His companions began anew to tell him, just accept your fate, stop jumping. You're just tired, you're just, you know, you're making yourself sick, quit. But the little frog worked harder and harder, and wonders of wonders, he finally leaped so high he got out of the pit. Imagine. Amazed, all the other frogs celebrated his miraculous freedom, and they gathered around him, and he said, why did you continue to jump when we told you it was impossible? Reading their lips, the astonished frog told them, I'm deaf that when I saw you gesturing and shouting, I thought you were cheering me on. And so I perceived that you were encouraging me to keep jumping. And so that's what I did. And so the more you yelled, the more I jumped, and the more harder I tried, and the more you encouraged, the harder I got. And finally I got out. You know what the moral of this story is? There's a couple, several. Death and life is in the power of your tongue. What you hear, what you take into your spirit will either give you life or death. The world is looking for sons of encouragement. The world needs a fresh vision. I'm telling you this morning, there is no excuse for any person in the body of Christ, in this church or any church that has a relationship with Jesus to ever be discouraged. I know it comes. But you know what? When it comes, when depression swept over Spurgeon, he said, no, I'm not, I know you've got something even better now. Hallelujah. Thank you for the depression. I don't quit. God called me. And God wants you to be an encourager. He wants you to have a revelation from the Lord. And you can't do that in your own strength. You can only do it by the Spirit. You can only succeed in this world by your Spirit. Oh, people will do things and, and, and you know, they get along and the Elon Musk's of the world make money and so forth. But you know what? True success has come from a relationship with God. And he will encourage you in the darkest moments, in the darkest night, the light of Jesus will shine in your heart. I want to tell you this morning, somewhere, someone 
is waiting to hear your words of encouragement. I guess the takeaway I'd like to see this morning is A, that we deal with any discouragement we have this morning and we put it under the blood and we say, by your spirit, Lord, you're with me and your favor is sufficient for me. Put that last verse up, put that Psalm 90 back up again. Excuse me. The favor of the Lord will establish the work of your hands. There's no way it it cannot. And as you go forward with encouragement, you become an encourager to somebody else. Somebody is waiting for your phone call. Somebody is waiting for your text. Somebody is waiting for for your message, your email. You and I have an opportunity to be Barnabases to this world. And we can do it by the same spirit that raised us up, by the same spirit that encourages us today. No matter what you're facing, I tell you this morning, the favor of the Lord is with you. You will make it if you don't quit. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father God, for those that are watching online and here in this room, is there anyone here that says, I need to get right with God today? I want to put the Lord first in my life. I, I, I used to serve him, but I'm, or maybe I never did, but I'd like to know him the way that pastor's talking about. If you're here today and you need to put Jesus in the first place in your heart, just lift your hand to God. Or if you're watching us online, say, Father, thank you that you saved me. I confess that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and my healer and my deliverer. And you're my strength. You're my rock. You're everything, Lord. I, I want to serve you. And I repent from everything that's been displeasing to you. And I ask you to accept me, Lord, and live big in my life. For the rest of us this morning, I just want to give you a word of encouragement. God is with you. He's never left you. The favor of the Lord rests upon you. He owns all the gold and all the silver. Quit worrying about tomorrow. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Oh, you have to plan, you have to prepare, you have to do due diligence, I understand. But are you trusting God first? Where's your relationship with him? He'll give you strength to overcome temptation, to overcome sin, to overcome discouragement, depression. He'll give you his spirit. He will live in you. He says, I'm building something, the glory of which you have not even begun to imagine. And your latter days will be greater than the former, says the Lord. Receive the word of the Lord this morning, not by might, not by your power, but by his spirit, you will accomplish the plan God has put in your life. In Jesus' name, and all those who agree, say amen. Stand to your feet. Just give your, just lift your hands, just worship you for a minute. Father, thank you, Lord. You're the God of encouragement and provision. You're the God who supplies. You're the God who heals. You're the God who delivers. You're the God who saves. You are more than enough. When I'm weak, Lord, you give me strength. Thank you that your favor rests upon me. Make a confession to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We receive it, Father. We receive the word of the Lord. We're going to not quit, but we're going to keep moving forward with every plan, every purpose, every pursuit that you have called us to, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I bless your people. They are the head and not the tail. They're blessed going in and coming out. They're blessed with every plane they put their hand on because the favor of God rests upon them. Their marriages and relationships, Lord, their children, their finances, their jobs, their homes are blessed because you are their God. 
and you are El Shaddai, the Almighty God. You are Emmanuel, God with us. You are Jesus, the name above every name. And we receive it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people say amen. God bless you. Have a blessed week. Wednesday night in here for prayer and praise. God bless you.